0: Thanks for tuning in. I'm Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch Podcast. Uh, In this episode, I am going to be taking the interviewer's chair and interviewing our regular podcast host, uh, who also happens to be our research director, Mike Watson, who you know very well if you listen to this show, um, because he has written a really interesting four-part series on what he calls social justice unionism. Um, it's at our website, and I wanted to highlight it because I think that this is a really important um, sort of element of unionism that gets overlooked. It's not talked about a lot. Um, so Mike is going to talk to us about it today. Mike Watson, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well sir. Thank you for having me.
0: Great, great. Well, you're you're welcome always, of course. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk uh, just a little bit about this um, social justice unionism four parter that you wrote for the Capital Research uh, Center uh, website, which is at capitalresearch.org. Um, the title of it is just social justice unionism, and there are four parts. You concentrate on centering race in California, pushing gun control in Montana, big labor's high times, and pushing Planned Parenthood's propaganda. Before we get into those those sort of um, pieces of it, can you? broadly kind of define what social justice unionism is
1: uh well social justice unionism isn't my term it's okay. actually their term it's it's a labor movement and progressive movement term for placing organized labor in a broader context of left progressive activism so kind of you know a lot of people when they think about labor unions they think Uh, like Samuel Gompers, the legendary president of the AFL from the turn of the century, you know, purely industrial class organizations with less hours and more wages for their motto, that it's all about, you know, uh, gaining a bigger share of the spoils of capitalism for the working class uh, versus the capital class. Um, But that is not how modern labor unions operate uh, for a number of reasons. Things like their uh, their staffers tend to be, you know, fully um, committed left progressives on multiple issues. Uh, There's an exchange of staff between organized labor, the Democratic Party, social liberal groups, uh, democratic governments, state, local and federal. uh, And that leads to the seeding of, of these social justice ideas. Uh, And as a result, and and that combines with the general decline in trade unionism over the last half century, uh, with unions themselves looking to being a firmer, more loyal participant in the broader left progressive social justice agenda as a way to accumulate favors that they can then cash in when uh, politicians that they're aligned with are in government.
0: So that doesn't sound very much like what they originally started out to be, which is advocating for, you know, a group that advocated for, no, no, yeah, they wanted to advocate an, for workers. That's yeah. not
1: an economical class organization with less hours and more wages for their motto. Right Again, now, gompers. It, <laughs>
0: right now, it looks like they're just, you know, it's a power. It, they're looking for power, uh, increasing their power, holding on to their power. Does that sound about right?
1: Yeah, no, they, they and and increasing their power, holding on to their power. For a broader progressive agenda, not just for more for the working class.
0: Okay, so um, again, before we get into the pieces of this four-part series that you wrote, um, what you you quoted Gompers, you said, you know, break down what his definition of how unions originally, their original intent, what were they supposed to do for workers?
1: So. For that, you know, the sort of history of labor unions, we have to go all the way back to the Industrial Revolution. This fundamentally changes how people in Europe and the United States worked. It used to be you worked on a, you know, you were a farmer. Over 90 percent of people in 1800, I believe, were, ag- were farmers. Um, if you didn't work on a farm, you were probably either a self-employed tradesman or You know, you were in a what we would today call a small business. Maybe you were a journeyman uh, working under a master craftsman. Uh, And with the Industrial Revolution, you have now this class of industrial workers. Uh, And this makes some people like, for an example, the McCormick family of McCormick Reaper fame. uh, It makes them fantastically wealthy. And while. We can look back now and say that it made the the broad middle class that we know today. Uh, for the industrial workers of the time, uh, wages were low, uh, hours were long, and conditions were not great. And as part of the development of you know what we used to call labor standards, were the creation of these organizations. Of workers coming together uh, to advocate for themselves, uh, both in terms of political advocacy and collective bargaining. And this is from whence labor unions came.
0: OK, so to the extent that you can be uh, sort of unbiased about this, because I know how you feel about unions. I know very well how you feel about unions. Do you think that initially unions played a positive role? If, I mean, if they, they, were- they existed.
1: They existed for a reason. I, you you know, the triangle shirtwaist factory fire that every labor union says is what will happen if labor unions become weaker than they are today happened and lots of people died. And the advocacy of uh, both trade unions and independent, uh, independent advocates for workers uh, have put in place standards that ensure that the odds of that happening again uh, are extremely low, even if, even as the, um, you know, the amount of union members in the economy has declined. Uh, so no, they, exi- they existed for a reason. Uh, they achieved most of their sort of widely supported goals, the 40 hour work week, uh, you know, st- uh, a standardization of safety standards in the workplace, uh, you know, the minimum wage. Uh, but the question is what happens after you have the 40-hour work week? What do you have after you have the minimum wage? What do you have after you have an overtime law? And I think that's part of where you – where this social justice unionism starts.
0: Okay, yeah, I think that that's making perfect sense to me in my head. Um, So let's talk about that then in relation to the four part series that you wrote for our site. Um, And, you know, you can pick one of these. I read them out earlier, Centering Race in California, Pushing Gun Control in Montana, Big Labor's High Times, which is about the marijuana industry and pushing Planned Parenthood's propaganda. Pick one of those. Talk about how the social justice, you know, thrust of what unions are doing now actually is not. In line with what they originally were supposed to be doing.
1: I think uh, the California ballot measures, uh, all of these uh, examples of social justice unionism, come from various state-level ballot measures. Uh, and the most, the state that has the most prominent ballot measures is, of course, California, because one, it's an enormous state; two, it's relatively easy to qualify a ballot measure; and three. Uh, the political institutions, including organized labor, in California, are all very much geared towards governance by ballot measure. And so, there were two ballot measures that I focused on. Now, obviously, there are other ballot measures that were on the ballot in California that had an economic focus that you could you could squint and say, yeah, that's either labor unions protecting their own positions, or You know, it is directly related to the economic interests of the mostly government worker union members. So you uh, could justify the modern union. So you could you could squint and justify it on their own terms. Okay. Uh, There was a tax increase ballot measure. There was a ballot measure uh, that would would overturn changes to uh, labor regulation that California had put in place that basically made Uber illegal. you know, obviously, unions are going to be involved in those campaigns. Mm-hmm. But the two that stood out to me and that I write about in the piece are, I believe it was Proposition 16 uh, and Proposition 20, 20, 25, 25. Twenty-five. Uh, 16 and 25. 16, uh, California in the 90s passed a ballot measure that prohibited California state government. From granting preferential treatment to persons on the basis of race, sex, color, ethnicity, national origin in public employment, public education and public contracting. Effectively, this prohibits uh, uh, affirmative action on the basis of race or sex. Mm -hmm. And uh, this has been a thorn in the side of the sort of critical race theory left since it has come into force. Um, And so. Uh, the the state Democratic Party, the overwhelmingly liberal government puts on, on the ballot uh, this proposition, Proposition 16, to overturn that law and mm-hmm. to put – to re-legalize uh, affirmative action in the form of discrimination on the basis of race, sex, color, ethnicity, or national origin. Uh, and – The opponents, the defenders of the ban, were outspent many to one. I want to say it was 20, but don't quote me on that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you had some of the usual suspects from uh, big liberal philanthropy. You had Quinn Delaney, uh, George Soros, uh, Microsoft, Steve Ballmer, uh, and the Netflix head's wife, uh, Patricia Quillen. Uh, They all were big contributors, but... Other big contributors, uh, one of them was the State Teachers Union, Mm -hmm. uh, the California Teachers Association, which put three and a half million of the 21 million that the uh, supporters of Proposition 16 raised. Um, And there were a bunch of other labor unions that contributed, locals of the SCIU, locals of the AFSCME Government Worker Union, uh, and even some that are pretty much outside the government sector, National Union of Healthcare Workers. Uh, a local of the Plumbers Union, a local of the uh, International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, and uh, a division of the, you know, uh, profoundly corrupt United Auto Workers. Right. Um. And uh, despite all this support, uh, in fact, the uh, the campaign to sustain the uh, the ban on affirmative action succeeded. Right. You make Uh, that point. Yeah.
0: Even in, I think you called it dark blue California. Even the people in dark blue California were like, no, we don't want this.
1: Joe Joe Biden, Joe Biden's (laughs) carrying the state by 20 points plus or minus five. And in fact, Proposition 16 failed by a wider margin than the original ban on affirmative action had passed.
0: Interesting. Mm
1: -hmm. so it was pretty resoundingly rejected, this. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then you had Proposition 25, which, again, this one of the trendy things in left progressive social ideology is uh, they call it criminal justice reform. Uh, in fact, it often uh, takes the form of letting people who did crimes and are incredibly likely to commit more crimes back out onto the street. Mm -hmm. So California state legislature passes this law that's going to get rid of bail. So how bail typically works is you put down either a cash or bond. You know, if you're charged with a crime, you put down a cash or bond to get out of jail. And the bail is paid back to you, whether you're convicted or acquitted, by virtue of you showing up to court. It's a, it's a way for court to make you show up Mm -hmm. without having you permanently, you know, in jail. The champagne, you know, the champagne socialists of the, uh, of the left uh, think that that's not fair. So they, they have in New York and they did in California pass these quote unquote reform laws and California's would have replaced traditional bail with risk assessments. So you would be put in a risk classification, and depending on what your risk classification was, they just let you out of jail until your until your trial.
0: It's always so complicated too. You know, it's like the ranked choice voting, not to go right. off on a tangent, but it's like yeah, no, you're it, complicating it, the issue.
1: <laughs> right. You have you have a, a fairly simple system that has lots of problems. Uh, obviously, the leading opponents of the change were for-profit bail agencies uh, who provide at a at a price the the bond that defendants have to put up for uh, if they don't have the cash to pay bail. Um, but again, the the risk assessments were so confusing that even the ACLU, which is no fan of the present system, uh, opposed the law. Mm-hmm. They said, "Wait, no, this is too much discretion to bureaucrats. Uh, we we think this might actually make things worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we still, you know, we still support fundamentally changing the bail system, but not like this."
0: Right. Some some and, rare insight, some rare positive insight there <laughs> from the ACLU. Uh, um,
1: and so the the bail agencies uh gather signatures for what's called a veto referendum. So count. So the state passes the law. Uh, but, you know, they got enough signatures to challenge it, to put it to a referendum. And once it qualified for the ballot, supporters of the reform- of the changes raised over 14 million dollars to defend it. A lot of the supporters were liberal, big philanthropy. You had John Arnold uh, of the Arnold Ventures philanthropy, uh, the Balmers again, Steve Ballmer and his wife, uh, Quinn Delaney again, and then, of course, uh, Tom Steyer, the uh, California environmentalist, uh, who's a major donor to the Democratic Party and to liberal causes. Um, But also up there, which shouldn't surprise people, is big labor, Mm -hmm. is uh, all sorts of committees and local unions and political committees associated with the SEIU, the Service Employees International Union. Uh, provided over a million dollars in support of the of the of the changes in support of abolishing uh, conventional bail and uh, the second largest teachers union is more the university professors union the california federation of teachers uh, also contributed to the campaign um,
0: yeah it's hard to see why how this falls under their mandate of you know protecting workers these are people who right. are
1: yeah it's, it's i mean if you're if you're a Uh, You know, if you're a janitor, uh, a lot of SCIU members, uh, a lot of their organizing has been in the janitorial sector. Um, You know, what do you gain from going from conventional bail to essentially just letting people out of jail? Mm -hmm. Um, And like with the affirmative action referendum, uh, the union side lost the even in uh, very strongly democratic California
0: interesting so it's the unions are even you know and this is a subject that gets debated a lot in the beltway as you know we're both here if the majority of people in the country are more center-right center-left than the actual people that are in power who tend to be Extreme right, extreme left, right, and it sounds more and more like that's the case. And this is certainly kind of an
1: an indication of that. Well, and this is an interesting thing that is ultimately my caution with the pieces on social justice unionism is there is a an intellectual tendency, um, led probably by the think tank American Compass, that sees organized labor as a potential centering or balancing force, Mm -hmm. you know, especially as, um, again, you know, this is not a position I hold. I'm trying to steel man, um, and argue it fairly. Um, you're devil's
0: advocate. Yeah.
1: I'm (laughs) I'm devil's advocating, uh, steel man being the opposite of a straw man, um, that, you know, we've seen business, uh, especially big business, swing very hard to the social justice left, to uh, social progressivism, uh, even as they would argue it's been sort of strip mining the uh, human resources of the country uh, in a way that is reminiscent of the, uh, the industrialists of the early industrial revolution uh, who prompted the first labor movement. Um, and that they say, oh, well, labor unions can be a, a countering force, can bring, you know, bring both the economics from sort of a far libertarian right uh, to the center and the social policy from a far uh, progressive left to the center. Mm-hmm. And my caution is no. Uh, certainly on the <laughs> that social sounds-
0: that sounds more than a just a caution.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, the certainly on the social policy, there's no difference between Steve Ballmer and the SCIU. There's no difference between uh, big philanthropy, which is all these billionaire social progressives and their descendants, and The labor movement. And it's not like you see real dissent in the ranks. It's not like you see, oh, the Teamsters are on the, you know, they're still economically left, but they're socially right. Uh, No, you, you don't see this. There isn't, you know, everybody's in line. Where you see some public dissent, everybody points to the laborers union and versus the environmentalists over pipeline construction. Well, that's because it's a direct threat to the union members, but on every other issue, except the pipeline construction, they're sympatica. They're totally aligned.
0: So basically what you're saying is this, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, this idea that, um, you know, the right, the conservative embracing unions because it might bring some balance or might bring us back a little bit more toward the middle away from the extreme poles on the right is actually sort of a myth.
1: It's a myth, it's an understandable myth because there are there is a lot of evidence that a lot if not necessarily a majority of union members want that want that outcome. But the way that organized labor is structured, there's no way for those members who do not support this uh, full-spectrum progressive agenda to influence their union institutions and to bring their union institutions, again, at least on social policy, back towards the center.
0: Okay. Well, this is going to be, and I, and I have one more question, but this is a, this is an interesting topic because I know that there have been, you mentioned American compass. There are people on the right that are really advocating this sort of embrace of unionism. And Mike, you know, I'll say this privately. Mike has said, no, this, you know, this isn't going to work. And so I'm glad that this has been a public forum for you to say this, because I think that that's going to be a debate that you're certainly going to be involved in. I'm glad that we can kind of start it here. Um, so, final question: uh, do you think that unions, you know, if we agree and acknowledge that they started out useful um, and had some things that they did to advocate for workers that were good, um and they've kind of transitioned and morphed into these you know basically the monopoly guy, right um mm-hmm. is it is it too late for them? can they can they circle back? I mean, it kind of sounds like based on what we were just talking about that it is too late for them. What do you think?
1: It's you'd have to make a massive. I mean, this is this, it would be turning an aircraft carrier. It would, you'd have to, starting from the local union level, like if you wanted to turn the SEIU back towards the middle, you'd have to start at the local union level and win a bunch of local union elections to get, you know, first convince a majority of the union members to pay attention. And then to support you, and then to uh, elect, you know, your dissident caucus to the union offices. Then they would have to uh, win regional union offices, and so on and so on up the chain. And oh, by the way, uh, especially with the SCIU, which is notorious in the labor movement for sniffing out insurgent campaigns. And restructuring itself to stifle them, uh, the institution is going to work strongly against you, whether formally or informal. Um, So, you know, if it is the, the view of the American Compass guys that the unions must be saved, we must turn the aircraft carrier, I hope they are aware of the scale of the task they have set before themselves. Because. Well,
0: that's for you to to let them know, I think. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we're going to just leave that hanging out there um, and hopefully maybe we can and maybe sometime in the future we can think about inviting someone on who takes the opposite opinion and you guys can hash it out. Uh, what do you think about that?
1: I'd certainly be willing to willing to discuss that with anybody.
0: Yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay. Well, Mike, thanks for talking about this. You guys should uh, check it out at the website. Let me tell you again, one more time. It's uh, social justice unionism. It is at capitalresearch.org. Uh Mike, what is your, uh, what is your Twitter handle again?
1: Uh, at Michael Watson, DC,
0: right? Follow Mike on Twitter. You can also follow the Capital Research uh, account on Twitter. We're out there as well. Um, And that is our show for this week. We encourage you to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have already subscribed, thank you very much. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.